0: Welcome to the Secular Voices Podcast. Here, we discuss current events affecting the secular community and movement, talk with secular activists, and hope to inspire you to get off your ass and get involved. Now, here is your host, the head writer at Secular Voices on Patheos, author of Understanding an Atheist, and executive director at Young Skeptics, Kevin Davis.
1: Welcome to episode three of the Secular Voices Podcast. This week, we will talk about the Boy Scouts of America and their recent policy change, as well as talk to Sarah Levin from the Secular Coalition of America during the activist spotlight. So this week, the Boy Scouts of America announced that they will be accepting new Scouts based on the gender identity indicated on their application. So what that means is they will be allowing transgender kids to join the Scouts Uh, And that applicants to their program can join based on their own gender identity, Uh, something that hasn't been allowed in the past. If you recall, uh, just a couple years ago, the Scouts finally allowed openly gay Scouts to join. Uh, I believe that was in 2013. And then uh, just in 2015, they allowed openly gay Scout leaders to be involved with the organization. So they are evolving slowly, uh, but really what's key to note here is that the Boy Scouts of America still don't allow atheist members and don't allow atheist scout leaders to be involved with their organization. So although the scouts are a private organization and they can kind of go by their own rules, um, they do claim to be a patriotic group, they claim to be good for America, they have the uh, president of the United States as their honorary president, Uh, they recruit kids at public schools, so the Boy Scouts of America for over 100 years have been involved in our American society and have been kind of a go-to group uh, when you are looking for an after-school activity uh, for your children and have always been looked to as this patriotic group of kids, right? So with that the Boy Scout oath calls on boys to do my duty to God and my country. So for those kids who don't believe in a higher power, that oath would not be applicable to them and they would then not be able to you know honestly take that oath and would be excluded from the group. If their aim is to be inclusive, you know now with this change in the gender identity allowance, Uh, It sounds like they want to be more inclusive, right? Uh, It sounds like they're evolving. It sounds like they're trying to include groups they haven't included before. So why exclude kids still on the basis of religious belief? Is that American? I don't think it is. Do they deserve to have a flag on their uniform? I don't think so. I would go a step further and say that it's disrespectful to this nation... For them to sew the flag onto their uniform if they're excluding membership on the basis of religion. That's not what America's about. That's not what our Constitution's about. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We don't exclude based on religion. So if you're going to have the President of the United States, even the current one, as the honorary president of your organization, it sounds like you want to have American values. It sounds like you're an organization who might welcome all Americans, right? but they don't they're still excluding people on the basis of religion so I say even though you've taken a couple steps forward you're still not there and you're going way too slowly I mean we're talking four years ago they started to allow openly gay kids to join two years ago they started to allow openly gay scout leaders now this week they've changed their rules on how they address transgender kids but can we please get out of the dark ages take the religion out of your oath, stop excluding kids who may not subscribe to your religion, and start earning the word America in the name of your organization. Are you the Boy Scouts of America? Or are you the Boy Scouts of the Religious Right? So maybe you should change your name if you can't include the rest of the populace of this country. Like I said, they're a private organization. They can do what they want, sure. But if you're going to congratulate yourself or pat yourself on the back for starting to include other groups of people who you haven't included in the past, well, maybe it's time to open the doors to everyone. You can be sure that when my kids ask me, if they ask me, if they can join the Boy Scouts, by that time, if they haven't changed the rules about non-religious people entering the organization, I'll have to have that talk with my kids and explain to them what an exclusionary organization this is, And how un-American they are, despite them touting the flag on their uniforms. And there are plenty of other activities my kids can do outside of the Boy Scouts that obviously we don't need them in order for them to have fun and go camping and all that stuff. So I'll leave it at that. I'm disappointed that they made a decision and are patting themselves on the back for including a few more kids that were excluded, but not including so many more that they could have. So, small step forward for them, but not quite the leap that they need to make in order to gain favor in the secular community, for sure. So, enough about the Boy Scouts of the Religious Right. Let's move on to Secular Voices'
0: Activist
1: Spotlight. This week's guest on the Activist Spotlight is Sarah Levin. Sarah is a senior legislative representative for the Secular Coalition of America. Welcome, Sarah
2: thank you thank you for having me
1: thanks for joining us so I wanted to have you on to talk about a couple things that have been going on and obviously uh, with everything going on in the news with the new administration there are protests everywhere and that's something that um, the secular coalition has been involved with you know here and there as issues arise and I know that you attended the women's march in Washington Uh, last week and and last week I had Jim Helton on the podcast from the Tri-State Freethinkers who was also at the march Um, and he told us a little bit about it but it must have been a much different experience for you Sarah as a woman to be there marching in a unified front against what may shape up to be an anti-women's rights administration right
2: absolutely yeah
1: if you could tell me about your experience there and what it meant to you personally
2: Okay. Well, first of all, I will say I did see Jim Helton there, and he marched with us because we uh, uh, we organized a secular contingent um, and worked with our member organizations, including American Atheists and Center for Inquiry and the Freedom from Religion Foundation, uh, as well as a few um, local branches of American Ethical Union, uh, to march together. Um, but, but personally, um, I mean, it was just so... Uh, powerful to not feel alone um, and to just kind of feel the sense of power that that we had, because it was there were just so many people. It was it was it was uh, in fact, it was so many people that they they had to change their plans because uh, there were more people than they had estimated and they couldn't uh, march along the original route, which goes to show how incredibly packed it was. Um, And just kind of being with everybody together and knowing that everybody is there for the same reason and that so many people came from different parts of the country. Uh, I mean, it's estimated that about 500,000 people participated just in D.C. The population of D.C. is like 670, 680,000 people. Wow. <laughs> so you could just imagine. Right. Um, so I, for me personally, it just felt it gave me some hope that um, we have the numbers and that people will actually show up. Um, and and that we uh, together can really make a difference. Um, but as uh, you know, I, I'm not just a woman. I'm a secular woman. I'm an atheist woman. I'm a humanist woman. And so it, it was it was powerful as an individual, just as a woman, to be surrounded by so many women and men mm-hmm. who were there to stand up for reproductive freedom. But it was it felt so good to be marching with uh, the secular community, uh, with fellow atheists and humanists and secularists who really understand the role that religion is playing in this issue. Um, And I don't think that can be overemphasized. It is so important to see where the religious right is playing a role and to call it out as we see it, that this is about imposing religious dogma on all Americans and all women. Um, And that's a perspective that's not always heard. um, And it felt good to be there talking about reproductive freedom with my fellow secularists in terms of separation of church and state and religious freedom.
1: So how big of a group did the Secular Coalition have together there?
2: So um, we were an official sponsor and partner of the march um, and we had I, it was, see, it was really chaotic. So we started out with probably anywhere between, um, 40 and 50 people, but it was so packed that we, we kind of, we got separated. Mm-hmm. J- just walking half a block, we lost some people and then we got together again. I mean, I, it, it's hard to describe exactly how chaotic it was even just to move 20 feet and keep everybody together. And mm-hmm. we had a banner too, you know, that was kind of, uh, <laughs> we were marching with, so it kind of cut through the crowd, um, but even with that, it was hard to keep everybody together because the crowd was just so massive um, but i would I would say we had uh, definitely a, a few dozen people there, um, just from kind of the d c and Maryland area um, and that was really exciting
1: And was the secular group well received with the you know the masses there?
2: Oh, yeah. People were giving us the thumbs up. People were. Um, I gave out my card to a few people who saw mm-hmm. us there and said, oh, this is great. Who are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was exciting to kind of talk to people who hadn't necessarily heard about us before. Um, there were people in the crowd who were coming up to af- coming up to us asking for um, some of our swag, asking for our signs, asking for um, atheist buttons mm-hmm. um we also had Rosie the Riveter bandanas, and those were very popular, so we were handing those out as well. Um, so even though we, we started with a you know a good chunk of people, you know something like 40 50 people, I would say we kind of added to our group as we as we marched because people were really excited to see us there and identified with who we were representing.
1: Yeah, I I really wish that uh, I could have made the trip down, and uh, unfortunately it didn't work out. But I was living vicariously through everyone's uh, pictures on Facebook. It was amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was so much bigger than D.C. I mean, in total, an estimated 3.7 million people mm-hmm. spread across the country and 600 cities around the world took took part, including a group of people in Antarctica. So it touched all all continents. And and one one last thing I'll say on the women's marches is, is I did get some um, messages from people who are asking why we were there because um, you know you can. If you're a conservative, secular person, Mm -hmm. um, then I think some people saw this as as sort of partisan. And, you know, why are you um, kind of just there as something that's perceived to be just progressive? But I think it's really important to emphasize why we were there and why it was so important for us to have a secular voice there. You know, it was it was important because the Trump administration and and the new Congress have made it very clear that they intend to roll back the hard won rights of women LGBT people, members of minority faiths, and people of no faith, and and you know, no matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, uh, Independent, the Secular Coalition for America is and remains a nonpartisan organization, mm-hmm. and we're proud to represent atheists, agnostics, humanists, secular Americans of uh, all political identities across the political spectrum, um, but you know the fact is that this administration is not friendly to secularism and they are have made clear through their words and actions that they do not respect the separation of church and state and these issues that were discussed um at the march uh about reproductive freedom about protecting lgbt rights um about uh you know uh, for us we were there opposing the religious dogma that is playing a role in all of those issues. We have a unique perspective that we want to bring to talk about how this is an issue of separation of church and state, and that when they talk about a Muslim ban, for example, Mm -hmm. that's a religious test, and atheists have just as much at stake when it comes to imposing a religious test on citizenship or a religious test on entering the country than uh, Muslims, as Muslims and any other religious minority do. So it's really important that we're there representing that perspective that isn't always heard about why this has to do with secularism, why this has to do with religious freedom.
1: Right, right. Great point. So uh, you gave me an excellent segue into my next question uh, about the Muslim ban. Was the secular coalition involved in the Uh, marches over the weekend?
2: So um, what's pretty amazing about those marches is that unlike the women's march they weren't really planned. Mm -hmm. Um, So I personally was out of town um, visiting family um, but when I came back into town driving yesterday I love that I saw people in the streets with the signs and it was great but that but we are absolutely going to be participating in um, anything plans uh that is happening in the future and we are issuing statements opposing the muslim ban um and we are definitely going to be working with our allies um our national faith organizations here in dc that are working to oppose um, and speak out against the ban um but it, it the we the the protests this weekend in dc at least were and and i think across the country were really pretty spontaneous i mean people uh which i i think is really goes to show how important and how this how important this issue is and how it really touches a nerve. Um, The Women's March had a few months to, you know, put together a website and have national partners and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, you can imagine (laughs) uh, getting getting a few dozen people to come meet at the same spot (laughs) Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff takes a lot of work. Um, But uh, I'm I'm proud to say I definitely have friends and I know um, secular folks who live in D.C. uh, definitely attended that um, personally. Um, But we're definitely going to keep a lookout for any um, organized. Um, Marches uh, or uh, uh, other efforts like that in the future um, where we can kind of organize a secular contingent to come together. Um, That said, though, that's a really good segue to the science march because that (laughs) is a planned march happening. We don't have a lot of details yet. Um, But we're working with our D.C.-based member organizations like the American Atheist, American Humanist Association, and the Center for Inquiry. And we'll certainly be working with our other member organizations uh, to get a secular contingent not just participating, but we we actually have also reached out to the March organizers saying we, the secular community, stands ready to help you plan this event. We are pro-science organizations. Uh, We have members who care so much and so deeply about these issues. Please let us know if you need people on your planning committees, if you need people um, to, to help put together a political advocacy component to this event. Um, so we're jumping right on this. There's still no date and time. Um, very much like the Women's March, the Science March uh, was just a few people who started a Facebook group, and in a few hours there were tens of thousands of people joining this group. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine being the person who starts that Facebook group and and saying oh my goodness i think we need to step back and have a retreat and figure out what to do with this uh, which is which is wonderful um so as soon as we hear more details we will um be releasing uh more about that um but i uh you know not to not to um i, I think really it's it's important that we spend some time talking about the muslim ban because i know that i'm sure your listeners um and and we certainly are really really concerned about what happened this weekend mhm um, so I, I think um, one thing that is important to point out, I mean, we oppose categorically any religious test, and this is absolutely a religious test. The ACLU um, has objected to this and filed a lawsuit on the basis that it violates the Establishment Clause. Um, and on, on the one hand, it explicitly targets Muslims, but simultaneously it privileges Christian refugees. Right. Um, and this is where the secular community really needs to be uh, heard on this issue that it's not just a religious test, it's also such a blatant example of religious privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the people who are really missing from the conversation, and I would I would say on both sides, to be fair, not just people who support the ban, but also people who oppose it, are talking about how this impacts religious minorities, but I have not heard a lot about how this impacts atheists and people accused of apostasy. Mm-hmm. Um, Despite the fact that according to the um, International Humanist and Ethical Union, IGU, which every year um, does a freedom of thought report on kind of the status of uh, religious freedom as it pertains to non-theists across the world, three of the countries um, um, on Trump's list can sentence people to death for being an atheist. Right. And so I'm not seeing a whole lot from um, either, um, you know, just to fairly criticize our allies, uh, as well as, of course, you know, our opposition of whether there's going to be any attention paid to atheists um, in these countries. Um, At the end of the day, though, you know, a religious test and religious privilege really has no place um, in these policies. Um, But we want to make sure that when we're talking about who's impacted and who is privileged, Uh, that we that atheists and non-theists who are who we know are targeted I mean there were how many bloggers were were killed in Bangladesh last year just for speaking out Um, that needs to be included in the public discourse and we're going to make sure that you know while we make very clear that we oppose any religious test or any religious privilege to any particular group based on religion that when we're discussing this who's uh, who's targeted and who's left out that atheists are not left out of the conversation
1: that's great applaud your efforts in that arena. I mean, obviously, as an atheist, I know that our group is a marginalized group when it comes to the government, and we're not thought of um, at times like this. So we're not a high priority. So, you know, groups like the Secular Coalition are working hard to make sure that we become a priority, and, and I appreciate that.
2: Thank you. And I And I have to do the shameless plug that if you want to get involved... <laughs> <laughs> Go to secular. org. Sign up for our action alerts. Uh, if you want to volunteer, uh, you can apply to volunteer on states.secular.org. org. And of course, if you want us to continue fighting for you in Washington, D. C., um, we're primarily a lobbying group. Uh, so we lobby uh, on Capitol Hill um, and empower people across the country to lobby in their state capitals. Uh, so please consider uh, becoming a member um, and giving to help us sustain our efforts um, in this really hard time.
1: Shameless plug ended. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned lobbying. Uh, you know, I, I saw some things on social media about Lobby Day coming up for this year. Do you have any details you could share about that?
2: Um, so I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about um, what the lobby day is. Um, we have uh, a few. More, we we still haven't announced all the details, um, but I will certainly let you know as soon as we have more of them. Um, lobby day, we do this every year, and last year was a particularly huge one because it was in conjunction with the Reason Rally, um, and we had over 300 people. Meet, uh, secular constituents meet with their members of Congress and their staff. Um, so this is a really exciting event where we bring you to D.C. and we schedule appointments with your members of Congress um, in the House and the Senate, um, and we train you. So you come and you you get training on the issues. Uh, we give you the talking points, uh, and depending on what's going on that year. Um, last year we there was a bill um, that we helped get introduced that would end funding for abstinence-only education, um, a very favorite policy by the religious right, Mm -hmm. um, and supporting comprehensive sex ed education that is medically accurate and scientifically accurate. Um, So that just happened to be the bill that was being considered at the time. And of course, we always want to make your visit relevant um, and and send you into that office with an ask that on an issue that your member of Congress has to actually consider at that moment. Um, And so we bring you to D.C., we train you, we give you the tools that you need to be confident when you go in that room um, and you meet with either your member of Congress or their staff. Uh, and it's a really exciting experience. Uh, I, I, there were a lot of new people who did it for the first time last year, and we got a lot of fe- uh, positive feedback. And I think one reason um, that it's important to go to a lobby day is because once you learn these skills, you can apply it to any Legislator, whether it's at the federal, state, or local level, on any issue that you care about, even if it's not necessarily one that has to do with separation of church and state. I'm a you know big believer in giving atheists and agnostics and humanists the tools they need to be involved in any issue that they care about, um, because I, I think that it's just important to be involved in the political process in general, especially if you're openly a non-theist, so that people can see and learn about um, how nontheists are. Uh, where they stand on the issues. And and that's how we can be included in things. If we're seen working on issues and common ground issues that people care about. Um, So that's, that's my pitch for Lobby Day. It, it is a really great experience. It's also really fun to meet people from all across the country who kind of share your views. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important thing, I think, to get out of it is that skill set and that experience, because you can take that home and you could do a Lobby Day with your own local group, or you can learn how to build relationships with your, you know, even at the most county local level, it's the same exact um, so, stay tuned for more details about Lobby Day, uh, but definitely consider making that one of your trips this year.
1: So, for those that you may not be able to travel to DC for Lobby Day, but they want to get involved in that type of uh, activity, are there Lobby Day activities in the state chapters of Secular Coalition?
2: So some chapters do do lobby days. Um, It's something that takes a lot, a lot of um, time, volunteer power. You know how difficult Mm -hmm, it is. um, There's a lot of competition for volunteer hours. Um, So we we do do an annual lobby day in California um, and North Carolina. Um, and I'm, I, am oh no, am I missing one? Connecticut is also having their first, um, one this year as well. Um, not all of our state chapters do it. And it's mostly because it's, you know, it, it does cost money and, and people power, mm-hmm. but that said, um, you know, a lobby day is great, but it's not, it's not necessary to have this one day one-off event every year to accomplish that. Uh, you can do lobbying on it and everyday basis, just by making phone calls and writing letters. Uh, you can do it on a smaller scale where you can just bring, if you are a constituent and you know a few other secular atheist constituents or anybody who just shares your values on, on these issues in your district, and you bring one or two or three people with, with you to a meeting once or twice a year, you're doing the same thing. Um, you're, you're accomplishing the same goal of just cultivating these relationships with your legislator and their office, and and bringing visibility to your community, um, and engaging in the process. So it's there's a lot of different ways to do this without necessarily having a specific day put on by an organization where everyone comes the same day. The most important thing is that you are on a regular basis building these relationships Uh, and so even if we don't have a lobby day in your state we -hmm. certainly do have um, training available so that you can learn how to be an effective advocate how you can um, schedule those meetings yourself and um, train other people in your district Um, and we have opportunities volunteer opportunities where we're building rapid response teams so when I meet with a member of congress um, I I, the best thing that'll make that meeting the most effective and have the most impact is if I can contact constituents in that member of Congress's district, if it's a representative or if it's a senator, you know, anybody in their state who uh, I can reach out to and say, hey, I just met with this senator. I just met with this representative. um, And this is what we discussed. And this is what you can do to follow up. Because at the end of the day, if they never hear from their constituents, then, you know, it's. It's kind of a toss up on uh, whether whether they're going to listen to me or not kind of depends on who they are and what their I- priority issues are and their orientation. But there's nothing that beats constituent contact. So the more that we can um, have constituents, secular constituents that are following up on our meetings uh, and reaching out on a regular basis, uh, the more influence we can have here in D.C. So we need you to help us be more effective. Um, So even if we don't have a lobby day in your state, one of the most impactful things you can do is sign up to volunteer um, and to uh, join one of our rapid response teams so that we can engage you in the process and have you help us um, really make more of an impact and get the ear of your legislator.
1: So, all right, I'm Joe Citizen. and. I am kind of (laughs) disenfranchised (laughs) with the whole political system, right? So uh, I'm hearing Sarah tell me about lobbying and going to meet my representatives. But in my mind, they're not going to listen to me. So what do you say to the guy who's sitting at home listening to this and says, you know what, Sarah, I don't have any money. I don't have any political influence. I don't have a bunch of people following me. Why are they going to listen to me?
2: So first of all, I think that it is important to recognize how important visibility is. Um, I think people don't realize how few people actually do this. Um, actually, and by do this, I mean, uh, reach out and try to build a relationship and talk to their legislators and their staff. Mm -hmm. And because so few people do it, what ends up happening is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and a small minority of people who don't necessarily represent the values of, you know, the rest of the district or the rest of the state get a disproportionate amount of influence. So the first thing I'll say is that if you do nothing, someone else is speaking for you. Um, The other thing is that even if you live in the most conservative uh, kind of religious area and you know that your representative is definitely not a friend of secularism, even building visibility for for the community is a success in itself. Because if your legislator has never met a constituent that identifies as a non-theist, just by saying hi my name is joe citizen i'm an atheist in your district and i completely disagree with your positions on x y and z and this is why i support the the separation of church and state you've accomplished something just Mm -hmm. there even if you never change their mind we cannot have any long-term gains in the political system if if our legislators don't even know that we exist as a constituency Um, And so what I would say to Joe Citizen is that, you know, even if you are not going to change their mind, you absolutely have a duty to let them know that you are there. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you have more power than you think you do, because first of all, you can change their frame of reference, even with one person, because if they've never met an atheist constituent, imagine all of the assumptions they might have about what an atheist constituent looks and sounds like and what they actually believe. And so, you know, lobbying isn't just getting um, your legislators to do what you want them to do. It's, it's a two way street. You also act as a resource um, and educating them about things that they might not know about. And certainly um, one thing that a lot of our legislators need educating on is the secular community. Who are they? What do they stand for? Um, And so, Don't underestimate the power of educating your legislators, even if you don't change their mind, because the first step to getting any political influence in the long term, and this is a long game that we have to play now, um, the first step is visibility. And if you've achieved visibility and you have, even if, if you're the first atheist or secularist or humanist that they've heard from, you have succeeded. That is a huge, huge deal. And one last thing is that, Um, You know, if even again, even if this is someone who is never going to, you know, suddenly become a a big fan of secularism and a big supporter, um, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that we don't know about. Um, And so you never know if you might be um, basically enough of a pain. They hear say they hear from Joe Citizen all the time and Joe Citizen found five other secular friends who also contact this office all the time, even if it's just saying, I oppose what you just did, I oppose what you just did, I want you to support this, and and you never hear back, even if that's the case, Mm -hmm. then over time, this office knows that when they do something egregious, they're going to hear from their...
1: Right. Contingent
2: of of and 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 if they hear from them uh, over time, they get they get a sense that they represent more than just those five people. That there is clearly a community out there, um, that that these five citizens are are representing and giving voice to. So you never know if maybe the next time, say, Focus on the Family comes by and says, you know, here's here's a piece of legislation we'd really like you to support. That you know, other legislators and others, you know, when they're shopping around their their agenda. Maybe they might take a pass and say, you know what, I know that if I do this, I'm just never going to hear the end of it from my, you know, um, pain in the neck, secular <laughs> constituents who call me all the time. So, you know, I kind of just did you a favor. I think I'm going to pass on this one because I have other priorities. Um, or maybe they will, um, you know, vote against a, a, a particular amendment that they might not have supported otherwise. Those are the kinds of things you may not be able to see. Um mm-hmm. But just by having visibility and knowing that you can even just be a pain in the neck um, can actually have an influence. Um, But, again, the the most important thing um, for that Joe citizen who feels like they can't have an impact, know how important visibility is and achieve that visibility, and you have made such a huge impact for our entire community.
1: Well, you have convinced me, Sarah.
2: Right. Yes. I am officially is done I'm talking Joe, out. I'm Joe Citizen <laughs>
1: Lobbyist now.
2: Excellent. Welcome to the team.
1: <laughs> but in all honesty, you might just see me in uh in DC for the next lobby day. So, I I wasn't able to make it for the lobby day that happened the couple days before the Reason Rally. I wasn't able to make it into DC in time, so I missed that opportunity, but uh it's definitely on the well, will be on the calendar once uh, the date is announced.
2: Excellent. I am looking forward to seeing you there, Kevin.
1: Thanks. Well, it's always great to talk to you, Sarah. Thanks for coming on the Secular Voices podcast. I hope you'll come back soon and share some more of the successes you have in fighting back with shaping up to be a busy four years.
2: Anytime. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. Thanks. Take care. Take care. So that's it for this week's podcast. My thanks again to Sarah Levin for joining us. And I want to remind everyone that if you are interested in hearing the full unedited version of the interview with Sarah and all other interviews, check out the Secular Voices Patreon page where you can sign up to access all of the interview footage at patreon.com secularvoices secular voices. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to the Secular Voices podcast. To support our work, grab some cool rewards and get early access to this podcast visit patreon.com slash secular voices. Kevin's book, Understanding an Atheist, can be found on Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers. And don't forget to check out Young Skeptics at youngskeptics.net. Have a great week ahead, and remember to be rational, be outspoken, be heard.